at many tables this holiday season, there will be an empty chair, a relationship broken, wrongs that have not been made right. And so this chair will be empty, and this family incomplete. The important question is, does it have to be empty this year? Jesus was criticized because he did not hesitate to break bread with broken people. He welcomed people to his table. Not after they made it right or showed remorse. He sought communion as a first step toward reconciliation. It's not up to you alone if that empty chair will be filled. But don't let another holiday pass without doing all you can to have everyone at your table. Go after the one lost sheep. Welcome the prodigal back. One meal may not fix everything, but the first sign of hope could be a chair that is no longer empty. Jesus all we want. We can talk about peace, whether it's peace on earth, or whether it's peace in our heart, but it has to come down to relationships. Is my trust in who Jesus is, is my faith seen in the way I live, is it especially seen in the way I live with other people? Last week we looked at the angel's announcement of the birth of Jesus. You remember that announcement. Glory to God in the highest. That is our faith. That He is above all. That He is in the highest. He is above my understanding. He is above my ability to help myself. He is even above my conflict. Whether that is a conflict that I am experiencing with myself or whether that is a conflict I am experiencing with other people. And when I put Him in that place where he is the highest, then he is pleased with me and he gives me peace. And the fact is, if faith is really going to mean anything to us, if if peace is going to be real, then it has to mean something to the empty chair. It has to mean something to that broken relationship in my life. From the very beginning, Jesus has been about broken relationships, and, and I mean from the very beginning. The story of Christmas doesn't start in Bethlehem, in, in a stable. The story of Christmas begins in the garden with Adam and Eve, with a broken relationship with God. And the rest of that story is God's plan to bring us back together, to, to bring peace. Isaiah hits on it in Isaiah chapter 9 when he gives us his prophecy of the birth of Christ. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, he says, For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Where he reigns, you will find peace. Going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 today, verses 11 through 18. 
you're using the Bibles that we provide for you, it's page 976, Ephesians chapter 2. I'd like you just to look at, at verse 14. This for, verse 14 tells us everything that we really need to know. Paul says, for he, speaking of Jesus here, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We understand Christmas is about Christ, right? We, we say that. We remind people about that. We understand and we, we grasp that the angels announced peace on earth. What is that peace going to look like that's lived out in my life? What is that peace going to look like to the empty chair in my life? If, we really, if we're really going to understand what this peace means for us, then we need to understand that Jesus makes peace with God all about himself. He makes our peace with God all about himself. And that's really where we have to start. Not, not with the broken relationship in your life, not with, not with that other person, but we have to start with peace with God. The angels announced glory to God in the highest, that he is above everything in your life, that it, it has to start there. He's above your faith. He, he, that, is, that is your faith. That is your hope. That, that your attitude, your attitude even acknowledges that God is above. And your peace, the peace that you have within yourself, the peace that you have with others, it, it all starts with God, which means it all starts with Jesus. That's, that's the point that Paul is making here to the Ephesians. The Ephesian church was a church made up of people who had never known peace with each other before. It was made up of, of Jews and Gentiles. The Jews thought that they would find peace with God through keeping the law. The problem was they couldn't keep it perfectly. And the Gentiles, they had been told that they were, they were excluded from God. They were excluded from the covenant. They were alienated. They were strangers. They had no hope, and they had no promise. Both sides were in trouble. Neither side could truly experience peace with God. So what was the answer? Paul starts out in verse 11. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles, and by the way, you're all Gentiles, <laughs> You Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time, at that time, separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The dividing wall of hostility, that wall that Paul speaks of there was a real wall. It was an actual wall. You could go see that wall when Paul wrote this. At the temple in Jerusalem, there was a wall that divided the court of the Gentiles from the court of Israel. The wall stated that if you are not a Jew, this is as far as you can go. This is as close as you can come to the Holy of Holies. You cannot come any closer to God if you are not a Jew. That wall stated that this temple is not for you. This covenant is not for you. This 
hope is not for you. This promise is not for you. This God is not for you. And when, when Paul wrote this, that wall was still standing. It was still there. But it was powerless. Because through the blood, through the sacrifice of Jesus, he had torn down that wall and he had opened a way for everyone. The problem for us is that our walls are invisible. You can't see our walls. Sometimes that makes them more powerful. Our walls are those times when we tell ourselves, God wouldn't want me. If you'd known the mistakes that I've made, if you knew the things that I've done, if you knew the thoughts that I had, you'd understand God, God wouldn't want me. And our, our walls continue to grow. They get taller, they get thicker with each mistake, each broken relationship until we convince ourselves that there is no peace for us, that there is no hope for us. Our walls, like that wall in the temple, they don't just keep us from knowing God. They, they keep us from peace. They keep us from each other. We shut people out of our lives and we shut people out of our hearts. We say, we say I'm not good enough. And sometimes we say, you're not good enough. If peace with God means anything, then it has to mean something to the broken relationships that we have. If peace with God means anything, it has to mean something to the empty chair. Jesus is our peace. When that, when that really hits us, when we really understand that, when that hits us, where that hits us is in the realization that since Jesus made peace with God all about himself, then if we want peace with other people, we have to make it all about Jesus. Those empty chairs, those empty chairs in our lives, those broken relationships in our lives, they aren't there because Jesus is Lord. They aren't there because Jesus is Lord. They're there because someone has chosen peace on their own terms. Maybe we have chosen peace on our own terms. Jesus says in the, in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who put the work into peace, who build peace, who make peace. He does not say, blessed are the peacekeepers, those who aren't going to rock the boat, those who aren't going to say something to, to stir things up. And too often, instead of making peace, instead of doing the the work of making peace, we choose to keep the peace. We're not going to rock the boat. We're not going to say anything. We're not going to upset anyone. We're just going to pretend that everything is okay. And in fact, sometimes the chair isn't empty. Sometimes that person is right there, right there around our table. Sometimes that person is right there with us. Sometimes the chair is not empty. But this is empty. There's no feeling. There's no care. There's no love there because we've built those invisible walls. The wall that, that Paul is, is talking about here in, in Ephesians 2, that wall was, it started out, it was just a wall. Just a wall. Just, it was about cultural differences. But over time, it grew. And Paul says over time, that wall that was about cultural differences, it became a wall of, of hostility. It stopped being about the wall, and it became personal. That's what these walls do. And 
When we choose to just keep peace, we do it because it's easy, you know? We, we don't have to say anything. We don't have to do anything. We just have to smile and, and pretend that everything is fine. But after a while, when we choose to tear those walls down, we choose to make peace, we realize just how hard that is. And, and with the walls, as long as the wall is there, there is no real peace. There's just a wall. Again, going back to verse 14, for Jesus, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man out of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You know, the significance of that wall ended when Jesus died on the cross. The significance of that wall was gone. That's what Paul is, is explaining here. The barrier to God and the barrier to one another was broken down. But the physical wall stayed there. Jesus dies around eight around A.D. 30, that wall remained in place until A.D. 70 when it was finally destroyed by invaders. The significance of that wall, though, it was gone. Its purpose was gone, but the hostility remained. And it leads me to ask, how many of us have walls in our lives that divide us from someone else? divide us and, and break a relationship. And we know those walls. We know what relationships are broken and we keep building that wall. But the purpose is gone. The reason that wall was there in the first place is, is long gone. But that, that wall remains and we maintain that wall. That's what happens when we make peace about ourselves. That's what happens when peace becomes about me and what I want rather than being about Jesus. If, if peace is about me, if it's all about me, then I have to wait for someone to earn my peace. And guess what? That's not going to happen. They're not going to earn my peace. If peace is about me, then I get to wait around and watch and wait for someone to screw up so I can put them on the other side of that wall. And, and I guarantee you sooner or later that will happen. But if peace is about Jesus, I have a new problem if peace is about Jesus. The problem is I have to look at my life carefully. And if peace is about Jesus, I have to ask myself the question, what right do I have to withhold peace from anyone? What right do I have to have an empty chair in my life? And I have to ask if I'm willing to sacrifice peace, then what else am I sacrificing? If I'm willing to sacrifice peace in a relationship, then, then what else am I sacrificing? Because the reality is, if I'm sacrificing peace, let me just make sure you follow me so far, Ephesians 2.14 says of Jesus that he himself is our peace, right? You guys remember that part? Okay. Jesus is our peace. So if I'm willing to sacrifice peace, then I'm really sacrificing peace. 
sacrificing my relationship with God if I'm sacrificing peace. If I'm sacrificing Jesus, what else has he done? What else am I going to give up if I'm willing to give up peace? Look on down, verse 19. Paul goes on and he says, So then you, you Christians, you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints, and you are now members of God's household because he has made peace. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. If I'm willing to sacrifice peace, I'm giving it all up. I'm giving up what what Christ can build in my life. And the sad fact is, There are people in our lives who simply will not choose peace. Okay? There are people in our lives who will not choose peace, who have not chosen peace. And we have to deal with that as a reality. But Jesus was never intended to be a barrier between us and others. Jesus was never intended to be that wall that divides us but instead to be the cornerstone of our fellowship, the foundation of the peace that we have. If peace with God means anything, then it has to mean something to the empty chairs in our lives. It has to mean something to the broken relationships. It has to mean something to the walls that we built. If glory to God in the highest is our faith, then that means that He is the highest, that He is above everything in my life. He is above my hurt feelings. He is above my conflict. No matter how great that hurt, God is above that. And I have to be willing to let the peace of Christ do its job in my life. Now what's that going to look like? I don't know what it looks like for you. And I know that in some situations, peace doesn't mean reconciliation. In some situations, peace is not going to mean reconciliation. But I do know that it means an end to hostility. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be perfect, but it does mean that I'm going to put Jesus before my hurts. It means that if, if God had to leave heaven and come to earth as an infant, vulnerable, weak, if God had to leave heaven and come to earth as a baby born in a stable to make peace with me, okay? To make peace with me, then I may have to go pretty far to make peace with with someone else. Jesus laid down his life for me. Am I willing to lay down my hurts for him? Back in Matthew chapter 5 in the the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 verse 21. 
Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And he says in verse 23, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, if you're coming to God, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. You know, at the heart of that instruction there is the realization that I don't dare try to get right with God until I've gotten right with someone else. I don't dare try to make a move towards God if I'm not right with someone else. It's called, it's called communion. And it's about community. It's about your relationship with God. It's about what Jesus did for you. We take it together because it's about our relationship with each other. And it's about the realization that Jesus is our peace. We're going to do things a little different today. Just a little different. Instead of coming out to serve you, we're going to come to the table today. And we're going to be served at the table. And, and I'm just going to ask you to Spend a few moments in reflection. Spend a few moments in prayer, thinking. And we're going to come to the table and, and take communion today. If, if you can't come to the table, if, you're not, if you can't walk forward, if there's something that's keeping you from that, please let us know and, and we will bring communion to you. But we're going to come to the table and be served here. The empty chair is here to represent that broken relationship with, with someone in your life. And as you come to the table, we're going to make peace with the empty chair. We're going to address the empty chairs. Now, now is that going to fix everything? No, it's, it's not going to fix everything. But it's, it's a place to start. It's a place to invite Jesus before and to put him before us to, to make him our peace. We're going to sing a song that I think is familiar to most of you that men are going to come. We're going to continue with communion.